I'm reading today from Genesis chapter 2, verses 4 to 25. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden. And here he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground. Trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river watering the garden flowed from Eden. From there it was separated into four headwaters. The name of the first was Pishon. It winds through the entire land of Havilah, where there is gold. The gold of that land is good. Aromatic resin and onyx are also there. The name of the second river is Gihon. It winds through the entire land of Cush, The name of the third river is Tigris. It runs along the east side of Asher. And the fourth river is Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat From the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will certainly die. The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man Called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, Wow, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she is taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame.
Thanks, Ali. That was great. I particularly love the wow when, uh, when Adam uh, opens his eyes and sees uh, Eve for the first time. Um, morning, everyone. It's great to uh, be with you this morning. And it's, I'm really looking forward to spending time uh, reflecting on this foundational scripture of Genesis to uh, today. Uh, I hope that you picked up from last week that we have started a new series on Sunday mornings, uh, taking a bird's eye view of the scripture story, the meta-narrative of the whole Bible. And I'm, uh, it's been really fun to kind of work out which passages, you probably can't read that on the screen, but it doesn't really matter. I really just wanted to give you a flavor that there are 16 passages that are going to take us all the way through from Genesis, the creation story, all the way through Israel's story, all the way to Jesus uh, around Easter. So last week we looked at Genesis chapter 1, that beautiful, poetic, perfectly edited seven-day creation story. And today we're delving into the next important chapter, Genesis chapter 2, a passage that is drenched in rich uh, truths about our origins and our original purposes, our original design. Um, um, I'm trying to flick to the next screen, but I can't do it. So anyway, so I'll go off. And so, uh, when I was younger, I don't know if you have had this experience of uh, capsizing a, uh, in a canoe or being in a canoe where you, you're, you're fine and everything's good and you're, you're sw- canoeing along, kayaking along, and then you come to some rapids and you fall over. And at that point, you suddenly panic. The adrenaline rushes through you because you're, you're disoriented you're confused and you've got it. You may, I lost, I've lost my paddle numerous times and then you're trying to get out of this thing and you've got to get rid of the, the kind of, the, the thing that you're wearing around yourself and get out of this canoe and start breathing again. That sense of being disoriented, um, uh, is a bit like what I think we're feeling at the moment. That sense of being flipped over where we're struggling a little bit to make sense of which direction to head in. Or maybe you've had the experience different from the canoe where you're walking and the mist comes down and then you suddenly think you're not so certain of where you're going anymore. That sense of loss and uh, feeling uncertain and um, disoriented. These two kinds of disorientation, I think, are part of our experience right now. And uh, perhaps this scripture that we're going to read is useful for us as a kind of spiritual cognitive behavioral therapy uh, that will help us to work out which way is up once again, which direction to head in as we recount the story of our origins. Uh, I don't think just now, for now, uh, just for COVID time, but I think uh, because we need to know which direction we're going in as a, as a people, as a nation, as a community, uh, more generally, uh, kind of more broadly than just COVID right now. So my, my hope is that this passage speaks to our sense of disorientation that we are feeling as a community, as individuals. I wonder if you could join me and pray. Holy Spirit, would you come and take the thoughts and words that I've prepared uh, to enable us to think and to feel what it is that you're trying to communicate to us. I pray you'd speak through me. Thank you that you partner with us in all of creation. I pray that as we listen, as we read scripture together, that your spirit will hover over us and transform our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you are at home and you've got a Bible, I'd really appreciate it if you looked at that this morning because we're going to go through the passage pretty much uh, as we go. Um, So it's Genesis chapter 2 and it opens up uh, the detail of what Genesis chapter 1 uh, started with. 
Uh, and the big theme of last week was that the God of the Bible is the good creator God who made us in his image to share dominion with him over his good creation. Uh, John Mark Comer, uh, one of my uh, go-to guys at the moment, uh, in his book Garden City said this, we were put on earth because the entire cosmos uh, is the God's temple to make visible the invisible God. Uh, to show the world what God is like. We are the creators, representatives of his creation. And again, he says, our job is to make... I'm, I'm flipping forward, sorry. I'm trying to get my screens co- coordinating from the back. Our job is to make the invisible God visible, to mirror and mimic what he is like to the world. We can glorify God by doing our work in such a way that we make the invisible God visible by the way that we do by what we do and how we do it. I'm wondering whether, if you just take over for the slides and, and I'll stop worrying about them from there. Is that okay? That's great. Um, I think we're, we're not quite there yet. <laughs> so how did last week go? How was the image-bearing idea? Did you carry it into the week? Uh, did you feel like you uh, were bearing God's image? Thank you, Erin, for leading that reflection, just as you thought, and uh, led us into this sense of to reflect about whether we uh, were bearing God's image this week. But on to chapter 2, starting at verse 4. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when God or the Lord God, Yahweh Elohim, made the earth and the heavens. Now you can see that they've slightly switched the order of things. First of all, you've got heavens and the earth, and then the second half of the Sentence, you've got the earth and the heavens. There's a nice chiastic structure to this, the flipping of the verse. And it's poetic, and it marks the break between the end of the first chapter and the account uh, which finishes at the Sabbath day. And notice that there are two words uh, used here for what Yahweh Elohim, that's God's personal name, is doing. He is creating. In Hebrew, that's barach, uh, which means shaping or choosing. Like an artist choosing exactly where to put their mark or where to cut into stone when carving a sculpture. And then there is making. So there's creating and then there is making. And making is asa, uh, which is like making a meal uh, out of ingredients and putting things together. So God is creating and he is making. And then verse 5. No shrub had yet appeared on the earth and no plant had yet sprung up because, number one, the Lord God had not yet sent rain on the earth. And number two, there was no one to work the ground. And this really struck me as significant. Notice the partnership, the creation partnership embedded in the story. There is Yahweh's work and there is man's work. Both are needed. God initiates everything, but he creates a world that needs us fundamentally to work the ground, to make things, to develop things. It's as if the creation process is stuck somehow at this point, waiting for the next stage. Before we get to any shrubs or plants, we need two things. Number one, the Lord God to send rain and someone to work the ground. And so notice how these are resolved in the next verse, in verse 6. But streams, or better, more accurately translated, mist comes up from the earth, which because streams don't come up from the earth, do they? But mist does. Mist rises and it becomes rain. Uh, mist comes up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Uh, and then um, this solves the rain problem. And then the Lord God formed a man, Adam, 
from the dust of the ground, Adamar, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. And this solves the worker problem. Now, I don't know about you, but that's intriguing to me. The idea of a creation partnership is really significant for how we see ourselves, how we see the world work. Right at the start of things, God's rule over creation is something that in both Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2, he shares with humanity. So we might sing, our God reigns, and that is true, but these these scriptures teach us that he reigns with us and through us. Excuse me while I just blow my nose. He delegates his dominion to us in Genesis chapter 1 as image bearers and his work of creation needs us to complete it. We're not just passively recipients of his creation. His creation that he creates actually needs us to participate with him in this great work. So in the first chapter, as we saw last week, God deliberately makes us in his image to act as his royal agents or regents, expressing his character and his rule and reign. And in the second chapter, it's as if the creation process is waiting until mankind is formed because someone is needed to uh, work the ground. So the big point is this. God created a world where mankind is needed to cultivate the earth, to develop the world, And to work the ground. In a very true sense, from the beginning of time, we are culture makers in partnership with God and for him. God never intended to do this thing without us. And this explains, I think, our experience and the biblical narrative that unfolds. Certainly what it feels like. Uh, we don't pray only, we don't only pray for a vaccine or protection. We do that, but we also pay scientists to carry out research and to make one. We don't only seek God for our futures, we fill in application forms and we go to interviews. We don't only ask God to lead us towards a good person that we might marry. We go on dates with people and we ask our friends uh, what they think about them. Every act of life is a collaboration. We may pray, but we also have to do things. And this is the story that God unfolds, the story of history that is unfolding in the Bible. Yahweh Elohim doesn't just express his will in an absolute way. Rather, he sets up a world of possibilities and he puts humans at the center of his will and purposes in order that they might carry his purposes out. And can you see how that places us at a very significant place in the story? God's creative purposes are contingent on how we, how we act, how we behave, how we respond. And this is the problem for God as well as for us. If we mess up, God's creative act, God's creation comes to a, a standstill. It gets, it gets pushed off, offline and it needs to be brought back again. And really that's the story of Scripture. So I love what Tim Keller says when he says, work is rearranging the raw material of God's creation in such a way that it helps the world in general and people in particular thrive and flourish. That's the next slide. Okay, so that is the starting point of my thoughts about this passage. Verse 8, now the Lord God planted, that's another thing that God does, he forms, he makes, he creates, and now he plants in a a, a garden in the east, 
in Eden. And I want us to have a think um, briefly about Eden in the story. The garden home into which God places man. The home which we were designed for and the home which we long for. Five quick things about Eden and then I'm done. Eden is a place of delight and satisfaction. Eden is a place to shape and to create and to serve and tend. Eden is a place of choice and freedom and boundaries. Eden is a place of relationship and union. And Eden is a place of vulnerability without shame. So number one, a place of delight. As I quoted last week, everybody has got a hungry heart. The Lord God, it says, planted a garden in the east, in Eden, which means pleasing and delightful. And there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God, Yahweh Elohim, made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. I think it's next slide. Uh, Those two verses tell us about God who plants, who forms and makes, who creates an environment for mankind as a home, a garden, beautiful and fruitful. Beautiful and fruitful. Not only fruitful, but also beautiful. So what makes a garden? A mixture of design and fruitfulness and beauty. I think there's a reason why Gardener's World on Friday evenings keeps coming back year after year after year. That's because I think we all know intuitively that we live in the Gardener's World, a place of delight and a feast for the eyes. Uh, G.K. Chesterton once said that most probably we are in Eden still. It's just that our eyes have changed. I wonder what we notice about the world around us. Tori often reminds me that one of the top um, five steps to mental well-being is simply to slow yourself down and pay attention to what's around us. A place of delight, that's number one. Next slide. And number two, a place to shape. Verse 15, the Lord God, Yahweh Elohim, took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it, Abad, and take care of it, Shamar, Abad and Shamar. The garden God creates is not finished. It needs our input and a certain kind of input. The word Abad or Abad is to work. Uh, it's also uh, translated uh, or maybe better translated as to serve. So we are to serve the ground. It's an interesting thought, isn't it? The other word, the word shamar, to take care of in our translation, is often translated in the rest of scripture as to watch over or to tend or to protect, like a parent would. Again, that slightly changes your imagery. If you think about us serving and parenting the world, that's a different kind of image. And it makes me think of our response to a world that is in chaos and a world which we can see is is growing in temperature year after year after year. Are we, are we tending and serving the world, or are we exploiting and dominating it? Notice, too, that we are from the ground for the ground. Adam's name, Adam, means ground, and we come from the Adamah, the ground. There is something about us being earthlings, God has created the earth to be fruitful. That's its natural state. That's his job. He will provide the water to make things grow. But our role is to protect 
this earth, is to tend this earth and to sustain it. So it's a place of delight, a place to shape. It's thirdly, a place of choice. It has freedom and boundaries. Verse 16, and the Lord God, Yahweh Elohim, commanded the man. It's the first command in scripture. You are free, any in the garden. You are free. God creates us as free people. But you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will surely die. There is only one thing we must not do. Everything else we are free to do. So we see here both freedom and limitations. And this is the story of morality, our freedom to act, constrained by the command of God to remain subservient to his direction and will. Beyond that, there is infinite freedom. There is creativity. There is choice. You can eat anything. You can do anything. All things are permissible, but not everything is beneficial. But there is only one restriction, to trust in God's direction. So learning to live within the boundaries of God's provision is a massive struggle for us. And isn't that true for us at the moment? As we have restriction after restriction put on us, we feel the resistance within us grow day by day. We are learning how to trust. This is a place, a world where there is choice, there is freedom and there is boundaries. But then that takes us into next week's story. Fourthly, the garden is a place of relationship. Verse 18, the Lord God, Yahweh Elohim said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. It's taken me a while for me to notice this, but um, everything that God makes in chapter 2, or that he forms, comes out of the ground except the woman. The streams, or the mist, come out of the earth to water the earth, verse 6. Adam comes out of the dust to work on it, verse 7. Plants and trees come out of the ground, verse 9. Animals and birds are formed out of the ground, verse 19. But... Woman, she is different. <laughs> she comes out of Adam. Why is this? Well, it seems to me that Adam has a particular need. Like the rest of creation, he is formed incomplete. He still lacks something. He needs help. He is alone. He needs some extra strength from somewhere else. He needs something or someone to complete him. So verse 19, the Lord formed out of the ground all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall in a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. And then the Lord God, Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man. And he brought her to the man. And he said, wow, <laughs> this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. You see what the, the, the passage is saying. At last, this is now me. This is the bit that's missing. He woke up aching. He had a bit of him missing. And then he sees her and he thinks, Ah, you fit me. You are from me. You shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. And this is why a man leaves his father and mother, his home. He leaves all the security, all the fantastic things that come from being under the protection of a father and mother and is united with his wife. 
and they become one flesh. Now, there's so much to reflect on that that I'm not going to talk about today. But what I reckon speaks to our current situation is that enforced isolation is disastrous for us, and we're experiencing that right now. We are not designed for independent living. Have you seen those phrases, uh, that phrase on a notice board outside homes? Advertising themselves as a place for independent living, as if that is a good thing. It is the anti-creation order way of thinking about ourselves. We are never designed for independent living. We are designed for living in community, in partnership, in union. Which is partly why the strapline of the church, seeing God change lives, moves on to seeing God change families and seeing God change churches. Because it's about community, not just individuals. There is the pandemic And then there is the pandemic of loneliness, which was running wild in our country way before we became overrun with the virus. The virus has only exacerbated things. Loneliness has been killing people year after year. And Genesis 2 disagrees with the way that we have structured our world, and it tells us that we're designed specifically for relationship. We're made for each other. I must carry on. A place of vulnerability, but no shame. Verse 25, Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. The union that Adam and his wife share is completed in the vulnerable and naked union of their bodies. And this is what makes them one flesh. This is unashamed, free and full and faithful giving of themselves to one another. And it's the opposite of the shoddy and the hidden and the temporary and the incomplete version of sex that we see in virtually every single sitcom or film or drama. We are designed for so much more than what the world offers us when it comes to sex. Once again, we see the gap between our original design and where we have got to, our disorientation. Despite our culture's pride in its tolerance and progressiveness, our sex lives are in a mess. We have drifted away a long way from our original design of being naked but not ashamed. So, to summarize, we have become disoriented and we need to head back to our original origin story. A story is uh, each week, uh, I'm inviting people to join uh, in small groups to look at um, what God is saying to you and ask four questions. What does this tele- passage tell us about God? What does it tell us about people? What are we going to do about it? And who might we share this story with? Well, today's passage tells us that God is someone who creates, who makes, who forms, who breathes life, who plants, who places, who commands, who speaks. It tells us that we are Made from dust, but we're way more than just dust. We're dependent on God for breath, but we're made for a purpose, called to carry responsibility, called to work the earth as an act of service, called to protect and tend the earth as an act of stewardship. We're designed to make culture, called to name and to define. He goes on to say we're made for delight and for beauty, for more than just survival. We have been created as moral agents, free to make choices, even though we have limits. We are made for faithful relationship and we are made male and female, made for union. We are vulnerable, but shame doesn't have to be part of the story. 
So I wonder, as uh, we conclude, which bit of this story impacts you the most? I'm just going to invite Ali up to the front to uh, start playing before we pray together as Helen leads us. We might actually have a song as well. Do we have a song to sing as well? Is it okay? So let's be still for a moment. Where did God speak to you this morning? Through this story, through this passage. Do you feel disoriented? Is it time to get home? Which way is up for you? This story is so beautiful in that it draws out truths that we know in our hearts and feel in our bones. And God invites us to come back to this story again and again. I feel like there's uh, people who are watching, who are listening this morning, for whom their work has become dry. And they need to be reminded again, or you are being reminded again by God Almighty, that you don't just go to work, but you've been made to serve and to tend and protect. Your work is beautiful and powerful and transformative. There may be others of us this morning who God is speaking about their relationships. It's not good to be alone. It's the first thing in scripture which is not good. It's not good to be alone. We think of ourselves. We also think of others who are suffering from loneliness, isolation. And maybe we're the solution to God's call this morning. And maybe we need to respond and and give people a call to let them know that they are not alone. Or maybe there are some watching or listening who are who can't say they're vulnerable without shame. They feel they feel the weight of shame in their lives. And to them I feel like God is saying keep walking with me. This story that we're working through this year, this term, is all about you living without shame. It's the rescue story of God, the healing of your shame, the return to Eden. It's time to come home.